grass and all of our glories like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. We have everything we need in the Word of God and the, the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the good news of Jesus. We have everything we need to defend ourselves against evil and uh, to defeat evil. Now, we talked about spiritual warfare for several weeks, uh, several months ago, and you can go back and refresh yourself. This is going to be a little bit of a refresher course for those who are here, and, um, but it's, it's just a reminder because we don't. We just don't think of our world this way. We think very simplistically, very materialistically. What I can see is all there is. And if you believe that, if that is the way you function, then you're going to have a hard time understanding most of the evil that goes on in the world. And you're basically rejecting two-thirds of the New Testament. Because every time we read about what Jesus has done, we're, we're, it's placed in this conflict in the air of him against principalities and powers and, and everything that would name themselves against Jesus. And, and that's just part of what is going on. What God is doing is he is reclaiming this world from Satan. First John chapter 3 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of Satan. So it's kind of like... Um, for some of us, I don't know, this is kind of like your goofy brother. If you're going to have my family, you've got to have him too, you know. And you might be a little bit ashamed of this part of our theology. Like We don't want to talk about demons and Satan and evil. But it's real and it's there. And it's a, he would, Satan would love for you not to believe in him, but he's there. And so I want to remind you of, of who he is, what he does, and how we defend ourselves against him. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is that he uses separation and conflict. You know, the old saying, uh, divide and conquer, is actually not necessary. All you have to do is to divide, and you've conquered. And that's all Satan has to do is get us separated so that we start throwing stones at each other, and he's won the war. And can just sit back and watch us fight each other. And uh, he, we see this. You're going to have to go back and read the whole text. Sorry, these texts are long. I can't read the whole things. But right before chapter 16 and the end of, uh, of chapter 15, we see Paul and Barnabas come to this huge public fight. And uh, it's probably over several things. We know that Paul is very disappointed that Barnabas uh, went over to the circumcision crowd in Galatians and... Um, and it says here in the text that they were arguing over whether or not to bring John Mark with them. They, their first missionary journey, they brought this young man named Mark who wrote the book of Mark. And uh, he, was, he was very young, and he got scared, and he ran home. He just said, this is too much. I'm homesick. I'm going home. So they're about to go back, and, and Barnabas says, let's bring him with us. And Paul says, no. One strike and you're out. And they come to this public fight, which had to have been embarrassing for, for years. Wherever Paul would go, where's Barnabas? We liked him. He was the encourager. You're a little rough around the edges. And he'd have to recount this argument, this fight, this separation. And it's, you know, how just common that is in the church today. Um, I grew up in a little bitty town that was kind of dominated by uh, a very legalistic denomination, 
Um, and in that in town, in uh, the, the Dresden church, there was a preacher who um, noticed that a lot of the men were smoking, and so he preached a whole sermon on the evils of smoking. What he didn't know, or maybe he did know this, maybe he was being very brave, but the wealthiest man in my home county owned a tobacco farm, Stoker's Tobacco. And so uh, he immediately left the church, built his own church, uh, and then uh, every company that he had stock in, if you didn't come to his church, you got fired. And so we had two churches in town now, smoking and non-smoking. And, um, you know, it, it, showed the, it showed all the children, everybody in the town, what was really important in the church. And division and conflict ended the day. The second thing we see here is uh, possession and power. Uh, verses 16 and 17, uh, they meet a slave girl who has a spirit of divination, who, who tells fortunes. This, this word that they use um, for her is it's an interesting word. It's a Greek word. Um, you're going to laugh when you hear it. It's, called, uh, it's, it's basically the word ventriloquist. And uh, it means that when she was possessed, she, she began speaking um, words that weren't her own. And, uh, and oftentimes her predictions came true, and, and it was this very face-to-face confrontation with evil. And Paul has to, to cast that out, cast out that spirit of divination by the name of Jesus. And we see that uh, always creeping around the edges of life. Uh, I, I, this week I read a book by Corey Tinboom called uh, Conquered Enemies. This a little booklet. Um, if you're interested in this, I recommend it. And she tells the stories about how uh, at the end of World War II, especially in Germany where she was, um, people just were lost. You, know, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have phones a lot of times. And, and, and millions of people were wondering, you know, is my father coming home? Is my, did my husband die in the war? Is he in a prison camp in Russia? Like, what? Where is he? And, and many of them went to fortune tellers to find out. And, uh, and what she found out as she went around as a traveling evangelist was many of them would, were tormented by Satan, and they didn't even know it. And one, one of the girls, this young girl, she was struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts and, and just evil thoughts that would come from, from nowhere. And, and uh, Corey asked her, Did you, have you ever visited a fortune teller? Have you done something that would have allowed Satan into your heart, would have allowed evil into your life? And, and she said, well, yeah, but it was kind of a joke. I didn't really believe it. And she, Corey used this example. She said, some kids were playing soldier and wandered into Nazi territory. Do you think the soldiers would have let them go? Do you think if they looked at the soldiers and went, hey, this was just a joke? They would have just let him go. That's not what evil does. Um, but the good, I mean, and, it, and it's as real now as it was ever. The third thing we see uh, in Satan's toolbox here is greed. And notice why people get mad. Look at verse 19. When her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul. And dragged him into the marketplace. They didn't care. 
They, you know, they didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about the gospel. They weren't particularly trying to stop the gospel. They cared about one thing and one thing only, and that was they were, not, they were about to lose their source of income. Same thing happens a few chapters later in Ephesus. Paul is preaching in Ephesus. He stays there for three years, builds up the church, makes up with Barnabas, by the way, while he's there. And, um, and while he's there, there's this massive revival. It's so big that all the sorcerers and fortune tellers and magicians bring their books to the town square and burn them. And, um, and everybody's happy, and there's just it's the, the church is growing. And then one of the silversmiths, a guy named Demetrius, goes, wait a minute. You mean nobody's going to come to our town and buy our idols anymore? We're not going to make any money. And he gathers together all the other silversmiths and goes, guys, you know we make our money selling idols. This guy needs to be destroyed. And they start a riot, uh, an incredibly violent riot. It's, it's just greed. It's just pure old-fashioned avarice, the love of money. That's Satan's tool. That's not fair. We all love money. And sure, we know things like, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. But Paul didn't mean that. Did he? He did. He did. It's still as evil now as it was then. Um, I was reading the New York Times yesterday morning, and I saw an article about uh, mothers, young moms, who just wanted their kids to be influencers. I mean, who? What kind of good mother wouldn't want your child to be an influencer? And so, while their girls were very young, they started putting their pictures on Instagram and Snapchat and you know, face block, I don't know, whatever they are. And um, and these men would start emailing them and DMing them and ask for more pictures of their daughters and send them money just for pictures in their swimsuits or in their leotards, just pictures. And these moms realized that they were feeding this perversion and, but they, they said over and over throughout the article, I, I don't know what I can do. I can't just stop. And the people in the comments just ripped them. Like, yeah, you can. You just stop. But they were getting paid. They were getting, uh, making a lot of money. It's good old-fashioned greed. What will we do for money? And then you have the final tool we see of Satan is the power of the air, just the course of the world. Look at verses 20 and 21. When they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us. What were the customs? Worship one God. Worship the the creator of heaven and earth alone. Don't worship all the idols. Do you see, uh, Caesar had, had kind of struck a bargain with the Jews. I won't destroy you. I, will, you, I won't force you. Uh, I won't force you to bow down to me. I won't force you to, to pray the prayers uh, to, to Caesar and call me Lord if you will um, basically not proselytize. And they were pretty much happy with that. 
And this guy's going, oh, but, but it's our custom. And we know he was really motivated by money, but it's our custom to worship all these idols. That's just not our way. And that's what the Apostle Paul refers to in Ephesians 2 as just the way of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the course of the world, just going with the flow. And, and Satan directs the flow. He directs the flow. There was a great article in The Atlantic uh, a few months ago, The Misunderstood Reason Why Millions Have Stopped Going to Church. And the author talks about how all of his friends, he's from Nebraska, you know, just real liberal stronghold of Nebraska. And he talks about how all of his friends who he grew up with going to church, none of them go. None of them. And it's not because they went to college and got taught atheism. And it's not because of the, you know, the, the controversies in the church and the um, scandals in the church. It's because, well, they moved, and they had new jobs, and they worked a lot, and their kids got involved in sports, and were very busy, and they just didn't have time for church. It just wasn't their way of life. Their way of life did not include church. He says that's the reason people are leaving. It's just the normal way of the world. It's the normal way of the world. That's the, that's the deception that, that Satan gives us. But the good news, and that, that's all very discouraging, but we've got 10 more minutes. Let's see what we can pull out of here. Um, the good news is that our enemy is defeated. I don't want you to be discouraged because Satan has already been defeated. I want you to notice what Paul does not do when he's battling this this, uh, demon that's uh, possessed this girl. He doesn't pull out his magic wand and enter into a spell contest with him like something from Harry Potter. He doesn't match wizard to wizard or warlock to warlock. He just simply says, in the name of Jesus, I demand that you come out. Because Jesus has already won. He's already won, and and our enemy is defeated. And the only way that he can get any kind of possession over people, the only way he can exert power is if you're seeking him out. Uh, I love what uh, Corey Ten Boom says in her book. She says that Christians just forget the the power, the, the resources they have in the blood of Christ and the name of Christ. And she says, the blood of Christ atones for our sin, so Satan has no power over us. And it's always been the blood. His blood pays our debt. His blood frees us from captivity. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews says, indeed, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews, and then in verse 26 says, He would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, He has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
It's the blood of Christ that frees us, that perfects us. And we're complete. And Satan has no hold in us. And evil has no hold in us. There's nothing he can hold over our heads. There's no debt that we don't have paid. And we have the resurrection of Christ. When Once Jesus went into the grave, he was able to get his arms around death. And he destroyed it. And Satan was disarmed. You see, death, one way to think about it, the biblical accurate way to think about it, is that death and sin are the weapons of Satan. They are how he enslaves us and destroys us. And Jesus has destroyed both. His blood has atoned for sin, and his resurrection has destroyed death. So now the evil one has no weaponry. He is a defeated enemy. He is disarmed. Colossians 2.15, Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities that once stood over us. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in deception. We don't have to live under this way of the world that, that we're so afraid that if we're different, we're going to lose out. Or we're afraid that if our children are different, they're going to lose out. We can stand firmly in Christ because he's defeated the world. He's defeated death. And so he leaves us with our weapons. What does he give us to protect ourselves? The first new thing he's given us is the application of the good, good news. He gives us the application of the good news. Look at this There's an incredible story. You have Paul and Silas in prison, um, singing hymns, praying as you do at midnight. Um, and all of a sudden their, their shackles come off, and their jailer comes running in and is terrified. He knows what happened to uh, the jailers who let Peter go, and so he's, he knows this is about to happen to him, and Paul says, no, it's okay, we're here. Nobody's left. And that's even stranger to him, and he just cries out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul conquers evil with just the God, good news of Christ. He conquers evil. Believe on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And the good news frees them from their chains, literally frees this, this jailer from his enslavement to, to Roman uh, way of thinking. And they rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. We see the good news applied to unbelievers. We see, if you look at the long story, we see good news applied to the relationships. Uh, Paul, remember how just adamant he was not to bring Mark? So adamant he would split up with his best friend. So adamant that it would bring scandal on the church with division and, and the very thing that Jesus told them not to do. But that's not where the story ends. And Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul writes, he ends it with these words. He's, he's in chapter four, he's telling Timothy, "Just Timothy, I'm lonely. Everybody's abandoned me. Please come. Please bring my coat. I'm cold. Please get here before winter. And please bring Mark. He's very useful to me in the ministry." The gospel heals our relationships. It heals, it heals us. He heal, the gospel heals us.
I know that you would never um, be so calloused or so dark to have ever reached out to evil or cursed God, but I have. And sometimes I think it's very wise for us to do what Corey Tim Boom says to do. Go back to those times and close those doors and ask Jesus to forgive those moments, those prayers, those, that unbelief, that darkness. Ask him to close those doors and apply his blood to those and use the name of Jesus. And finally, use prayer and worship. When we pray, when we worship, we are unleashing a, a power that the, that the powers of evil cannot stand in front of, cannot stand. What did Paul and Silas do to escape from prison? They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That means they were actually singing loud enough to be heard. That's crazy. That's scary. Like karaoke. Praising the Lord. And letting His Spirit do the work for them. Those are the weapons that we have. And those are the weapons that evil cannot stand against. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we... um, We're just so thankful that you have defeated this present darkness and that you have equipped us to protect ourselves from all forms of evil. And Father, we claim the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And we take great joy in knowing that our champion has defeated death forever and ever. And there is nothing more that we should fear. In Jesus' perfect and powerful name we pray, amen.